Martha Stewart here. As a devoted pet parent and culinary expert, I ensure my cats and dogs are fed the finest nutrition. My premium pet food features air-dried protein inclusion, whole fruits and vegetables, and never any fillers. Martha Stewart pet food formulas make it so easy to satisfy the dietary needs and taste preferences of your pets. Now all six delicious formulas are 50% off. And there's convenient home delivery on Chewy.com. No more lugging heavy bags and your pets will thrive on the optimal nutrition and great taste. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. My attitude about the world uh, running out of food is, no, it isn't. You just have to realize that Mother Nature's systems are incredibly productive, and you just have to uh, plug into them. Hi, everyone. I'm Martha Stewart. Today, I'm so happy to have two fantastic men on the program. These men are gardeners. They are perhaps two of the finest gardeners in America. Jack Algier and Elliot Coleman uh, are joining me. They are two of the best-known advocates of sustainable organic farming in the United States. Both men have inspired and influenced the way I grow food here at my own farm. Elliot is joining me from Harborside, Maine, where he is a farmer, an author, an agricultural researcher, and a proponent of organic farming. He is famous for developing a unique year-round method of cultivating organic vegetables, even during the wintertime in Maine. Jack Algier is the director of agroecology at Stone Barn Center, where he works to train the next generation of young farmers, something that we can all agree is vital. Jack is here with me in person, and we just returned from a tour of my gardens and greenhouses. What did you think, Jack? Spectacular. <laughs> Absolutely. Am I doing okay? You blew my mind. I've been here before, and it is a gorgeous landscape and forest. So glad to see it. Thank you. 
Well, we're both experienced and passionate gardeners and farmers. And now more than ever before, people are getting into their own backyards to garden. Uh, the pandemic certainly encouraged uh, backyard gardening in a way that nothing has ever before. I don't even think Victory Garden was as prolific as this kind of COVID gardening has become. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that's true. Me, everyone was stuck at home. I suppose that was the, the big difference. But yeah. What I wanted to get from both you today and from Elliot, and I think we could ask Elliot to join us now, if you don't mind. Elliot's uh, in Harborside, Maine. You have been such an inspiration to me, Elliot, and you know that. And and we, we work together on so many wonderful articles and stories. I'm just a simple farmer out here in the woods. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> but you have written um, at least four fantastic books, Four Season Harvest. I have one right here. And this is uh, Organic Vegetables from Your Home Garden All Year Long. And uh, The New Organic Grower, another fantastic book that we rely on for really good information. You've done a, a tremendous service to so many home gardeners. And your tools, which are you still, are you both collaborating on tools for Johnny's? We have been working quite a bit on uh, different tools over the years, for sure. Yeah, well, those tools are in my head house, in the greenhouse, and they are used by uh, Ryan and Brian at the farm here and all the other guys. They fight over the tools <laughs> because they are effective, they are sensible, and it's really great to have those tools. And And um, you can get, if, if you're, the listeners, please uh, note that Johnny's Seeds has a whole section of their catalog devoted to wonderful tools, many of which were designed by uh, Elliot at first and then by both of you now, right? I'm solely an advocate, but yes. I've certainly uh, had our hand in our work to uh, to work on slow tools and, and designing small tools for, for good farmers. So you call them slow tools. These are non-mechanical tools pretty much, right? Yeah, for the hand, for the yes. handcraft. Yeah. Yes. And since my favorite way to garden is by hand, even though I've been learning how to use all the machinery, I, I can drive tractors now, Elliot. Here, here. Yep. I can, I can hay the fields, Elliot. <laughs> Bail the hay. But, uh, but I, do, I do like getting out there, even without gloves on, to my manicurist dismay. And I can pick weeds for hours. And I get such a satisfaction out of doing that. What is it about farming that the next generation has to understand? What is it that's going on now that has to be either fixed or implemented or uh, repaired or uh, just uh, taught? So, Jack, what is the first thing we have to, to teach? Well, I think the first thing to teach is that no one needs to do this alone. That's never what it was like. You know, the reality is there's so much to learn from a community of people around you, whether whether you're starting a garden or a farm. Um, you know, there's so much of this spirit of, of uh, do it yourself. Um, but it's the community that that enriches the whole thing. And there's so much to learn from each other. In many ways, gardening is this, and farming for that matter, is a little bit of a spectator sport. You know, people people watch and they pay attention and often learn more from the failures and the things that don't go right as we navigate that. And uh, so I think people, uh, it's good to see what other people do and try those things and know that there's uh, there's never a truly perfect, but there's also never a total failure. 
And uh, there's so much to learn in that space. Without that, you can't have the longevity to really practice and be good at it. And you have to stay with it. Yeah. And uh, what, what, do you, what do you say, Elliot? One of the most interesting things about farming and its connection uh, to the world we live in is organic farming has shown that if you understand how the natural system works and work along with it, uh, you're going to have food, uh, that there's nothing complicated about it, that uh, Mother Nature wants us to be well-fed, and the, the systems are so basic and straightforward to people who uh, understand that uh, the natural world is the most magnificent system ever set up, and we just need to uh, figure out how to plug into it. Uh, there's a line in a wonderful old book from Liberty Hyde Bailey, who was uh, a classic uh, horticulturalist at uh, Cornell and other places. And he's suggesting how you can learn about things and how to do this. And it was a very simple line. He just said, go out in the backyard, look down, and ask yourself, oh, why is that weed growing right there? He said, by the time you've answered that question, you've had a whole education in botany, horticulture, and everything else. And so if you're a gardener and you want to grow a, a corn or a plant or a tomato plant, you need to figure out how to create conditions that are as amenable for that plant as the conditions that the weed at your feet naturally chose because they were perfect. That's good advice. <laughs> Very much. If we want to just start a garden in our backyard, okay, we have a 12 by 12 foot piece of ground that is sunny. Uh, we can fence it and we can grow um, a few vegetables and some herbs. What's our first step, Jack? Well, the first thing, of course, is you, you have to, the, the grass is its own ecosystem and you need to change that just removing that and getting to the bare soil and being able to enrich that space, compost and preparation, any kind of, um, it, the idea is to go from that ecosystem, that grass, the, to a more excited environment for the vegetables. Should Actually, we, Should we cut the grass out, like take, get, get a sod cutter and cut the grass off? I use a flat shovel. And I okay. and I basically use a sod, like a sod cutter. On a 12-foot patch, it's not very big, so it's just enough to get two inches just under the and roots. kind of shave that off and even roll it right off like right. a sod would come off. And that, that way you're not getting rid of all the topsoil. Okay. Right? You want as much of that topsoil as possible, and you don't really want to destroy the soil. So that's why just cutting it off the top, um, applying compost. Apply compost, homemade compost or bought compost? If you can. I mean, the reality is... And a lot of preparation, they're setting, setting up a home garden. You can do it as simply as just opening up that ground. And if, you can, if you're making compost, apply that on there. We like uh, you know, manure composts, either cattle or horse manures type uh, leaf composts. That to me are just, uh, the vegetables love that, um, rather than just leaf mold. And how should you dig the garden? How deep you should, should you dig that 12-foot square patch? Use a fork, use a, fork. Use a spade. There's always, depends on how deep the topsoil is. And of course, you want as deep a topsoil as you can for a good vegetable garden. Mm -hmm. So fork helps to break that up and allow the compost to fall in. Um, 
we we avoid using like really heavy rototiller type cultivation, but just enough so it's open and just make that top bed for the seeds. Know that the seeds need that really special top surface to be putting in. And uh, Elliot, do you have a different method? Well, I'm going to agree with Jack. Uh, it's just that after I take my flat spade and uh, go two inches under the, the surface of that sod, I'm just going to turn it over. And by turning it over, I'm going to prevent it from regrowing. But the most fertile part of your lawn is the top two inches. And in the old days, when people wanted uh, a good fertile type soil to mix into a a greenhouse or to make a, a potting mix, they would use what they called loam. And loam was made or created by taking the top two or three inches off a fertile pasture, turning it upside down and letting it rot for a couple of years. Well, you don't need to do that because if you turn the two inches there upside down and then add to it the compost that Jack is recommending, you can almost grow in it directly. And as far as deep, people today find all sorts of ways to loosen the soil underneath. But I remember a British gardener I ran into years ago. He just took his spading fork, pushed it in, and pulled back on the handle. And that just lifted and loosened the soil underneath. Uh, did allow a way for a lot of the compost to fall down in there. And, you know, we were talking uh, about uh, tools and tool design and stuff like that. Well, most of the tools I design is because when I'm working on something, I think I'm congenitally lazy. And the whole time I'm doing it, I'm trying to figure out, ah, there must be an easier way to do this. And so when I saw this old British gardener say, no, you just push the fork in and pull back slightly on the handle, I thought, dang, that's genius. And that will keep old people like me gardening well into their dotage because it isn't uh, that hard to do. That's the, and what about year after year? What what do you do to keep your garden soil beautiful? Once you once you've started this twelve by twelve foot patch, uh, what do you do next year? Well, you want to cover it over winter. Studies have shown that if you have uh, plants growing there, you're going to get better growth next year. But you want to make sure that you can get rid of those plants easily next spring. And you could do the same. You could skim that. Uh, top two inches off and and turn it over. And uh, especially if you had some clover that you sowed in uh, September at the end of the gardening season, that would be a great deal because it would uh, have extracted some nitrogen from the air to put there. And if you don't have things growing there, just spread some hay on it. And that organic matter just sitting on top will keep the uh, soil organisms happy. And the soil organisms, this is the wonderful thing about what's going on out there. These are the guys who run the show. Uh, when I first started, the fact that impressed me more than anything else was reading one of the early soil microbiologists who explained that there are a million live organisms in a teaspoon of fertile soil. That number is considered far too low today. Oh, way more than a million. <laughs> yeah, because we can, we can count better. But there is this whole biological world, and 
Now, as we're paying attention, not just to the soil, but to the human microbiome, we're finding out that there is a great uh, companionship between the soil microbiome and the human microbiome in in keeping people uh, alive and healthy. So you just want to protect all those wonderful free workers that you have. And the nice thing about it, their favorite food is organic matter. So that's why when you're buying probiotics, if say you're taking antibiotics and they tell you, the doctor tells you to take probiotics, you're taking in 300,000 units of probiotics of something or other, microbes, yeah. right? Yeah, very, very high. Yeah. But like what Elliot was saying, the ground just needs to be always covered right. as best it can. It, and in fact, I so think- So covered with plant material, growing plants, you mean? Or even just the decomposing plants. So instead of the hay going to the compost heap, it's just going to lie on your garden for the winter and uh, and you're going to scoop off what didn't decompose in the spring, throw it on your compost heap, and the garden is ready to go. Martha Stewart here. As a devoted pet parent and culinary expert, I ensure my cats and dogs are fed the finest nutrition. My premium pet food features air-dried protein inclusion, whole fruits and vegetables, and never any fillers. Martha Stewart pet food formulas make it so easy to satisfy the dietary needs and taste preferences of your pets. Now all six delicious formulas are 50% off. And there's convenient home delivery on Chewy.com. No more lugging heavy bags and your pets will thrive on the optimal nutrition and great taste. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because, God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. 
I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s She looked like a million bucks With zero qualifications She had a Harvard plaque Tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys All in the driveway Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion That this queen of the con uses to scam Some of the biggest names in professional sports Out of untold fortunes about six million approximately 11 million dollars nearly 10 million dollars was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry she would probably have sex with one of her clients hide your money in your old rich men because <laughs> she is on the prowl listen to queen of the con season five the athlete whisperer on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts so both of you became gardeners at a very young age. Jack, 17 years old or 18 years old, um, you had an eye-opening experience. Tell us about that. Well, I was working in, uh, you know, we had a family farm in Rhode Island, and I was working at some greenhouses. Um, and, you know, I, I loved to work in these spaces, big old redwood glass houses, uh, malt, you know, old farm families that were there. And, I was loving it, learning more. I had grown up with organic production on our own farm. And once I got into do more work in these greenhouses, it was my first exposure to chemicals. Um, and what was a real surprise to me was that a lot of the stories that, that my mentors there, my teachers that were there, were telling me was that, well, that the, the ideas of organic are the old days. And actually, the management going forward is going to require something really different because the consumer is, wants something different. And I thought that that was a really surprising thing to hear them say. Like they were following a, a trend that was being set by people who really didn't know what the consequence was. And I thought, you know what would be good? Be to really direct this, this idea here towards growing food and doing it naturally. And, you know, fortunately, I would say a lot of that eye-opening was that there were not a lot of people talking about how to grow, especially in greenhouses organically, which is a very rare thing. Um, that uh, it was really Elliot's new organic grower and learning about what he had done as a methodology that I thought this was this is something that I can apply. And, and it was so intuitive. I was able to really apply it multiple places um, through the years. And, uh, and honestly, it's been, it's just evolved and grown and uh, really valuable. And so you call yourself an agroecologist. What does that mean exactly? Well, it's a big word for farmer. Um, what it really means is, you know, in the systems that we work in, um, they're not just about food production. You know, these, these systems are about stewarding land and caring for our communities. There's ecology associated to it. So part of this is about not just food, is that the food is this product of a very healthy, interactive working kind of ecosystem that takes a lot of people besides just the grower. 
Now, does does your kind of farming include animal uh, farming? So, do you need do you need the animal waste from cows and horses and chickens to enrich your soil? Is it important? It is very important. Um, it's very important to have animal manures in an annual space. So, the idea is that everything is moving, right? In fact, the more that I've been able to do this and test and try, because again, a lot of this stuff takes confidence to try a new method, to try something different, but we're always in that place, sort of always curious of trying something different. And there were some old methods that had been, you know, in Europe and UK for, for a long time, where they were doing these lay herbal lay type rotations, where it was pastures to vegetables to grains and, you know, a mix of all these systems. Right. It seems very idealistic uh, in some ways compared to what we have in place, but we had the opportunity to start doing it. And what I realized is that, and maybe this even in your own backyard, um, the garden in the same place all the time isn't really necessary. In fact, if you have the animals and you have the grains, then everything's doing a kind of service. So by essence, the, the animals are, need to be involved just for the sake of the manures. Right, move, it or move them around. Yeah, and even if the garden is in the same place, that there's good composting. So to, say, start Stone Barns, which was this beautiful uh, rolling hill of cattle pastures, the first thing we did was build the compost system, build a greenhouse, and everything kind of expanded from that place. And I've been watching this development ever since it started, um, David Rockefeller giving the giving the property over to Stone Barns to to build this amazing amazing facility. And uh, Elliot, what was your job there? I know that you had an involvement early on with the Stone Barns. Yeah, well, they weren't looking at what they could really do. I think their vision of greenhouses and stuff was limited because at the start they had a twenty by thirty foot greenhouse planned, and they were going to have a huge restaurant there and everything. So I suggested the half-acre greenhouse that Jack has now. And if you want to see how well organic greenhouse growing can happen, you just need to go there and visit Jack's greenhouse. Uh, I keep wanting to go to all the universities that still have professors that say organic is impossible and take them by the scruff of the neck and drag them over there and, and show them Jack's greenhouse because it's absolutely uh, magnificent. And it, it, it shows that the, the wisdom of the past, which uh, wasn't quite as uh, constrained as uh, uh, ag thinking was back in 1965 when uh, I started in this game, uh, I have a book on my shelf that's absolutely delightful. The title is Roman Farming, and it was written by an old uh, Latin professor. And you go through this thing, oh, yeah, green manures, oh, yeah, cover crops, crop rotations, growing legumes, making compost. It's all there. It's all been known uh, since the dawn of agriculture. And you know, you have to say, oh, yeah, it must have been. How did people feed themselves for all those years? Because there are natural systems like that that work. Yeah, strangely enough, regardless, these principles are so simple. They're, they're just nature principles that can be applied to, to our relationship in the landscape, just productively. But the greenhouse systems, for some reason or another, 
we're just completely avoided bringing that kind of methodology into the space. Into the into covered spaces. Yeah, because yeah. the covered space seems to want to just be like sanitized. Right. And and that's couldn't be farther from the truth. It is biologically rich and healthy because of it. Yeah. Now, Martha, the greenhouse that I recommended uh, to the barns, which is the one they uh, built, is called an open top greenhouse. And it has all sorts of little roofs across it, and they open to the point that they open completely. So if you wanted to let it rain in there, you can have all of those things open completely and let it rain. And what that gets you is much more natural conditions. And we have done that here in a a simpler way because we have uh, uh, plastic greenhouses, but we've made them movable. So we can move them like a big sled off of where they've been sitting for a year and and to another spot. And that was an idea that started in Europe about 1890, because prior to then, in, in order to keep their greenhouses functioning well, the the greenhouse growers would have a huge crew of employees taking out 18 inches of soil with shovels and wheelbarrows and putting in another field outside, and they were renewing the soil for an awful lot of work. And one, one of them, obviously, as uh, naturally lazy as I am, said, well, gee, why don't we just move the greenhouse? And so back in 1890, the first movable greenhouses, these were glass houses, they sat on railroad wheels, on railroad rails, and you could actually move a 100-by-40-foot glass greenhouse that way, but they quickly found out that this was the most in the easiest way to sort of renaturalize uh, an area that you have denaturalized by putting a cover over it. And so the gene, the greenhouse that Jack has does that by having a top that opens completely, so the 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 real sun and uh, and the real rain and everything can treat it as if it were outside. I did something. I did something along those lines. I don't have a greenhouse that moves, but my vegetable greenhouse was an in-ground greenhouse, sort of modeled on your instructions, Elliot. So I put in the the foundation of the of the greenhouse was um, was filled with really really good soil. All my composted best soil, eight feet deep, and then we started to plant in that, and then. Uh, so years, years went by and then I decided, well, I was getting a lot of weeds and things and I decided, well, I'm going to now do raised beds. And I got, I made raised beds. You saw them, um, and filled them with a new brand new organic, beautifully made compost. And we have had such amazing vegetables now again, because of this rejuvenation so I'm thinking now, maybe in three years, I'm just going to build a second, maybe six inches higher on top of those boxes and fill more stuff in there. Does that sound like a good idea? There are a lot of old studies that have found that the deeper your topsoil, the better plants grow. So by deepening the topsoil, you're doing exactly right And guess what thing. I grew this year? A 17-pound si- Swiss chard. Holy I have a picture cow. of it. I weighed it. It was 17 pounds with with the one little, you know, root, but the root wasn't so big compared to the plant itself. 17 pounds and it was absolutely edible. A white a white Ford hooks was charred. 
Oh, I'm quite sure it was at all. Just because it got extra large didn't mean it was going to be tough or anything. Yeah. It was delicious. So I think that, I mean, I, I'm so, I'm so pleased with myself. You know, when something like that happens to a gardener, you just get so happy and my carrots are so nice and long and straight. I think it's because of the new raised beds, you know, they're not meeting anything, uh, any little, little, uh, hard soil under there. They're just, just growing right in that beautiful compost. So we're, we're I'm, I'm having fun with my in the ground, in the box, uh, covered, covered garden. It's great. One of the things that we've been doing for years in there is that when you keep adding compost, maybe just to, to offer this too, is that minimal amounts of compost each time is really valuable because what you're doing is just feeding the soil. Right. I think this is this idea that you need to add more for the sake of the plants. Like you did, you added a whole bunch more to start it fresh in our system, we are actually continually adding slightly less all the time yeah. because the because there's so much release. If you put a lot on, sometimes you'll end up with well, a lot of Well, I was told that and, don't plant your lettuces right away in the new compost. Yeah. Plant hardier plants. I planted that mm-hmm. Swiss chard, which is, not, which is a hardy vegetable. That grew so well. And the lettuces, let other things grow first and then start your more tender vegetables. Okay. And that worked. To that point... I, Mellow compost, like old aged compost is really good to apply in those ways. First of all, just because you are just feeding the soil. You're not, you don't try to like feed the plants heavily with it. But to your point, diversity and rotation in these spaces is really important because when we grow the same plant over and over again, it just draws the same thing. Exactly. So changing that. And the other thing that we've been doing in this space, you know, Elliot's, uh, this idea, part of it is that protecting from the extreme of nature rather than just trying to grow hot winter. Because allowing it to get cold in the winter, um, and some of our houses completely frozen and others just at that cold temperature, uh, everything flourishes in that way, and it's really low energy, which is the other thing. Greenhouses can be well, very high Low energy high is the intense. most important thing nowadays, too. And greenhouses are going to continue to be more and more valuable, especially these types of on-soil type uh, extension houses because the reality is climate change with stronger storm cells and that sort of thing. These houses are are actually giving us uh, alternate options instead of just total exposure. So we're going to get into a little bit of um, territory now that I've been studying a lot of, and that, that's the, the CEA, the Controlled Environment Agriculture. Uh, they, these gigantic greenhouses that are appearing all over Europe, in the Middle East, Dubai has a, acres and acres and acres under glass. Russia has uh, thousands of acres under glass, growing everything all winter long. Um, some of it's hydroponic, some of it's in the ground. Uh, what do you think about this? Are they using too many chemicals? Or how do you compare that to the, the kind of in-ground growing that you're talking about? Well, if you want to see really good in-ground growing, as I just mentioned, uh, walk into Jack's greenhouse. Uh, that is an excellent soil to start with, and they are adding just the right amount of compost every year, and they're also running a crop rotation. So if you can't change the soil, changing the crop and having a, a, a different uh, stimulating effect on the uh, soil microorganisms. I have been in Dutch greenhouses. That it just blew my mind. You're driving along the highway, and for miles you could see nothing but glass houses. It's it was 
it's become such an incredible industry there. And uh, the produce is wonderful, the ones that especially that are growing in, in real soil. Uh, the ones uh, that aren't growing in soil, I was never as impressed by the flavor and quality of what came out. But uh, that may be that uh, after almost 60 years of being an organic farmer, I my taste buds have been prejudiced. <laughs> right. But what do you think? In America, there are a lot of young companies growing, um, growing in greenhouses hydroponically. Do you think that they will succeed using 90% less water, many of them recycled rainwater? Water is a, water's a big focus on, on, in these greenhouses because of, uh, because of the shortages that California is experiencing now, Mexico is experiencing. Uh, what do you think about all of that? The 90% less water figure is always bandied about, but my water costs me nothing. Uh, it falls out of the sky, and, uh, and I don't have to put energy into moving what water I do use around, unless obviously it's a, it's a very dry year. But the energy input to grow in those huge greenhouses, and especially where they want to grow all winter when there isn't enough uh, sunlight and they have uh, 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 artificial uh, lighting. The LEDs they're using. Yeah, that makes me uh, a little... Uh, uh, there's a professor at Cornell, Dixon Despumier, who was one of the early people uh, pushing the idea of uh, uh, these huge plant greenhouses, who I believe wrote an article eventually said, where he said he never thought uh, they could recover the energy that was uh, used in excess of what it would have been necessary to grow the crops out of doors. So if we are looking at using less energy, uh, some of those systems are probably uh, not the direction to, to go in. Many of them are using solar panels. Many of them are uh, you know, trying to create their own uh, energy. Right. Even with solar panels, it turned out it didn't work. So I've always been interested in, in simple, no energy systems. And so we grow and harvest as late into the fall as we can uh, a lot of root crops that we store for the winter. And we store them in a root cellar. And root crops, the happiest place for them to be is in a dark, cool, moist uh, uh, area. And that's what you get for free by digging a hole in the ground and putting walls and a roof over it. And so this is costing absolutely nothing. And it cools down by we open the vents and let the cool air in in the fall. I mean, the, the idea to me of where we should be looking in agriculture is for systems that work with what the natural forces are giving us and try and uh, uh, enhance what they do. And all of our uh, carrots and beets and, and cabbage and, and rutabagas and all those, we sell them every week all winter from this uh, hole in the ground that on its own is maintaining ideal conditions. 
And that is something we invented. Obviously, root cellars have been around forever, but it has always appealed to me as a simple technology that we need to uh, investigate uh, more thoroughly. Well, just to say that there is some pretty incredible technology that's being learned in those kind of environments. Uh, my personal feeling here is that we need to spend more time on the, on the soil, and we have we have a lot more to learn about what Elias just saying. That the reality is, it needs to be complementary. If there's new technology that's coming on, there's lots of ways for that to be actually supporting the local farm and and regional food and farming that's happening in those spaces. I don't see it as a full replacement, for sure. And in fact, maybe the one thing that I've heard is that looking at places like uh, Salinas Valley, where we're sending you know tens of thousands of pounds of lettuce across the country to us here, for a place to be able to do that in, a, in an environment here, I can see the short-term value of, of food security and, and all these things that they're talking about. But again, the the uh, huge amount of energy, I think, is overlooked how simple what Elliot's talking about is and how it how easy really it is with enough support for us to produce more like we've been doing. And that is really important. Martha Stewart here. As a devoted pet parent and culinary expert, I ensure my cats and dogs are fed the finest nutrition. My premium pet food features air-dried protein inclusion, whole fruits and vegetables, and never any fillers. Martha Stewart pet food formulas make it so easy to satisfy the dietary needs and taste preferences of your pets. Now all six delicious formulas are 50% off. And there's convenient home delivery on Chewy.com. No more lugging heavy bags and your pets will thrive on the optimal nutrition and great taste. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because, God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. 
Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, if, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. ...tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. ...that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately $11 million. Nearly $10 million was all gone. Employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich men (laughs) because she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, the food production in America has encountered a lot of problems. We are uh, a nation of meat eaters. We are a nation of people eating maybe a lot of the wrong food. So many of us are searching for organics uh, in the grocery stores. Are the things that are labeled organic, organic? What should we suggest to everyone? And, And what do you think the consumer really should be offered in the grocery stores? There's a wonderful... Old Italian saying, what you don't pay for at the food market, you pay for at the doctor. And uh, I've always thought that since that uh, came from uh, hundreds of years ago, it is a concept that people have realized that uh, even if exceptional food does cost more, and we're not talking about fancy wines or something, we're just talking about food that has been carefully grown So it contains everything that food is supposed to contain, which means that the grower has been uh, paying attention to creating an ideal soil. And the trouble with what was uh, put in as the regulations for USDA organic is that they focused on what you shouldn't do. Okay, you shouldn't use these chemical fertilizers, you shouldn't use these chemical pesticides, but and I was told this by someone who understands how you write rules in Washington, that that was the only way they could do it because there was no way the type of rules that lawyers write uh, could uh, be specific enough on the positive things that the grower is supposed to be doing to make the soil absolutely perfect to make the most nutritious vegetables. And so that's what your small growers are focusing on. all these delightful young people, we meet a lot of them, some of them work for us, who have gotten inspired by the idea that food that should be grown to be as nutritious as possible. And uh, they're the ones turning out wonderful food today. And very often that isn't available in the supermarket, but it's available at farmer's markets and at 
farm stands on farms. Well, Elliot, the, what you said about your farmers being inspired, it, that's, that's the important thing here. So few people are being inspired because they are not in contact which is another thing that that part of this whole thing comes from this desire and sort of com- compelled uh, senses to want to eat that and to to know where it's coming from. I mean, so few of us have the privilege of actually being able to have access to gardens, and the less farms there are, and the less people are involved in like good artisan food and good farming locally, the less opportunity for all of us to get that connection. So even if it's not like we should, you know, don't feel bad if you can't buy all organic product, but know that you're, you can visit places and you can connect to, to food and farming in your local area, because that's, that's what will change the grocery store. And that's what will change our eating habits. It's it's very simple. Uh, We don't connect enough to our food and there are not enough people in our local towns and communities that have uh, have been empowered to, to celebrate that with us. And when we're inspired, as, as I certainly was, and as Elliot was, as all of the farmers that have worked with us over all these years, and the chefs, and the florists, and the leather makers, and when they, when they start to, to catch on to what's going on, um, so does the rest of the community. And, and access becomes available. When it's getting shipped in, and who knows where it came from, and we're just looking for and that when tag. when was it picked? That's How many weeks ago so were those tomatoes picked? There's or, too many questions. Yes. Too many questions to actually have answers to. So the local food system is transparent, it's traceable, and uh, it's actually beautiful. Yes. But again, it's hard for people who are working in an office to find the farmer's market um, and find time to go to the farmer's market. Farmer's markets are once a week in most neighborhoods. That's not, not enough time. It's I hard went, for farmers I, to find those guys in yes. the office. Place. I went to, I was up in Maine <laughs> this weekend at my, at my house in Seal Harbor. I went to the farmer's market in Bar Harbor. And I love going to that market. I love seeing what is uh, being grown locally. I have so much fun. I'm on a first-name basis with all the farmers. And and it's so nice to see the activity there. I think if everybody could experience that and start shopping that way, as you suggest, uh, it might be very, very good for for our health, first of all, of course, and also uh, for our environment. Uh, teaching kids where things come from is another way. Teaching agriculture in school would be a very good initiative. You know, we I I learned how to sew and I learned how to draw architecture. I knew how I learned auto, uh, automotive um, techniques in school, but I didn't learn gardening. No. I didn't learn gardening, and now wouldn't it be great if there were were a, a gardening course in you know a required course in grammar school. Certainly. Whenever there's kids, for, for many, many years at Stone Barns, we had you know, tens of thousands of kids from schools coming and, um, you know, getting questions like, who put this carrot in the ground? Mm-hmm. You know, or, really not knowing. And how quickly somebody who has really has no idea how natural it is, because it is really, it, it doesn't take, you don't have to buy all of your food from the farmer's market tomorrow and totally change your life. Although if you can, you should. Great. But the reality is even just going and, and visiting helps change the frame of mind, which is that's the shift that needs to happen. Well, Alice Waters has been very instrumental in, in teaching us how to uh, grow things and, and enjoy the, the organic. Um, uh, many people on the West Coast are trying to do that. 
Uh, you, of course, Elliot, has, have spearheaded the whole movement here on the East Coast. Uh, it's very important for us to pay attention. Maine Organic Farmers uh, and uh, Growers Association, that's a very fantastic group. Oh, yeah. Working hard. Mm-hmm. To, uh, and what's, what, what groups around here, Jack, in and around uh, New York City? Well, there's, there are lots of community gardens across New York City that are doing incredible things. Some of, the, some of our friends in the South Bronx and in Brooklyn are doing huge amounts of work and big gardens down there. Um, down even in Battery Park, it's a beautiful garden we worked with down there. And uh, so there are places there. There's Grow NYC. There are other organizations, uh, NOFA in all the states uh, in the Northeast, with the exception of MOFCA. Um, you know, that have great resource lists of where the farms are and where that's happening. If you're, you know, Connecticut grown and all these groups, you know, there is a strong community of farmers, small farmers and local community and local artisans that are out there. Um, But again, one farmer's market a week doesn't satisfy that. And we, we are all kind of contributing to either that happening or it not happening. Right. How were you introduced to farming and organic farming originally, Elliot? What made you go in this amazing direction that you've really devoted your life to? Well, two of the same people who at one point or another inspired you. Uh, Scott and Helen Nehring wrote a book entitled Living the Good Life. (laughs) Hippies looking for the best life, right? We were that, right? Yeah. I was fascinated by that book, and and I came and met them, and we became friends. And a couple of years later, when I decided I was going to do this for real, uh, we stopped by, and uh, they sold us uh, uh, the land we're on for what they'd paid for it 20 years before because they took pity on a young couple who had enough didn't have enough money to really buy land. And... Uh, it made it that much more of an adventure because it was all covered with spruce and fir forest. So uh, we had to cut down a lot of trees and roll out a lot of rocks. But And this is a, an important story. What we started with was a very sandy soil covered with trees and rocks with a pH of 4.3. And we've been able to turn that purely by adding organic matter into the unbelievably productive farm we have at the moment. So my attitude about the world uh, running out of food is, no, it isn't. You just have to realize that Mother Nature's systems are incredibly productive, and you just have to uh, plug into them. And organic matter and compost are two of the... uh, the most important inputs. Well, I'm very glad that you are so optimistic. I hope that you're right. I hope that we can return more more to nature and and uh, and get more uh, incredibly nutritious food growing all over the world. I mean, it is so important for us. And uh, yes, I I love that book, Living the Good Life. I even wrote a sequel to it called Living the Good Long Life. I don't know if I ever sent you a copy of that, Elliot, but you're you're doing a good job of living the good long life. Uh, well, good food helps. And loving the work you're doing helps since that's what you're doing all day, every day. It's important that you enjoy it. And uh, so your daughter is running the farm now. Uh, she has uh, taken over uh, management. She's doing a wonderful uh, job of it. Uh, and she had her own farm in, in Colorado for a number of years before she moved back east. 
and uh, and then she worked as a consultant with people like Wegmans and Rimmel greenhouses, and is keeping the farm incredibly productive. That is such such good news. Well. We have so many really serious problems facing us as a nation, as a world. Uh, we have climate change, which is uh, very evident. But what are your words of advice to all of us, Jack? What what can we do like right now to start helping solve these problems? Hmm. Well, just to first, the thing to know is that everybody is a contributor to this planet. I mean, we are all we all have an opportunity to do something. And you should really take that to heart because it's not just producers. It's not just chefs making food for you. Your choice matters every single day and you can help direct that. From a farm perspective, it's also probably valuable to remember that farms are not just producing food. They're the farmers, the people that are on that land are caring for that land. And if you want to do something for the planet, it's care for the land, it's care for the planet. And so our kind of stewardship work, like I said, it's it's part just for the ecology of things. It's part just for making sure that people have access. But well, we have to change the attitude from factory farming to more responsible farming, right? Well, factory farming has, has rode on the coattails of non-renewable resources and all kinds of input-driven systems and all sorts of things that had not been calculated and we hadn't calculated the damage done to both the ecosystems themselves and the planet, but also our societies. So we're not including everyone right now. And we're not actually protecting the place that is going to provide for us in the future. So that's why farmers are so valuable. And that's why you need them in your community. And you need artisans and all of the other stacks of people that help. And so when you support your local uh, baker that's that's choosing the right uh, philosophy around how they bake, or you're going to your farmer's market, or you're buying pickles from this person, you're buying root vegetables, or you're actually showing up at the farmer's market in the rain. Any or, of those things. Or on things. horseback. I go on horseback. Or on horseback. <laughs> I mean, you know well. I take sacks along with me and hang them on the saddle. <laughs> I guess we can't be too, I mean, even if it's impossible, even if the, the change that we're asking for is impossible, we should be driven to try to make it better. And encourage one's children to plant and to grow. Yeah. Uh, and one's grandchildren. My granddaughter, Jude, has basil plants on her little terrace in New York City. She's picking her lettuce. She had four climbing bean plants. She was so proud. They germinated and grew really fast. And I showed her how to put strings uh, and tie them around the railing so that the beans would grow up. Uh, and she's so proud of herself. I and think I think we have to teach our, our, our all children uh, the 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 validity of growing one's own food and and teach them how to grow. It's just important. There is no garden too small. Yes. First of all, like just growing a basil plant in your window is enough to have a feeling. But the other thing is that a farm like Elliot's or a farm like ours, where oh. the footprint's small comparatively to oh, yes. what you're talking about for a massive scale but we're feeding a lot of people. And if there are more and more spreading, if that spreads and people are asking for that in our communities and recognizing why it's so good for the soil, why it's so good for the carbon, why it's so good for water and biodiversity um, and protected places, people will have more access to that kind of land and that kind of food. And health, 
gets health. That's the idea. And Elliot, what's your what's your secret for living the good long life? Enjoying what you do. My favorite story was when I learned that we we grow uh, the best tasting carrots anybody ever ate by planting them uh, just after the middle of August and then sliding a greenhouse over them and leaving them in the ground and harvesting them uh, November through February. And uh, these are sold in our local markets as candy carrots. And by staying in the cold ground over winter, this is an unheated greenhouse, they just get sweeter and sweeter. And my wife was delivering at the uh, uh, local food co-op early one morning a, a load of our vegetables, including carrots. And the produce manager, when he saw her pull up, came out and said, oh, I'm so glad you're here early. There's a man waiting in the parking lot, and we're out of your carrots. I hope you brought them. Uh, his daughter refuses to go to school without one of your carrots in her lunchbox. And uh, I found out that our carrots had become the trading item of choice in local grade school lunchboxes. Now, we became very popular with the parents because we had little Johnny and little Mary eating uh, vegetables. But it was just a case of focusing on growing the most flavorful, tender uh, version of whatever we were after. And to develop taste buds like that early on in your children is such a, such a gift. And, uh, and, and to be able to satisfy them is such a, a, such a treasure, really. Yeah, it's not a chore, no. right? It's not a chore. No. And that's part of this is that to show how much you have to love what you grow and love what you eat, enjoy it. And, and that, if we future looks like that, we're in good shape. Well, I hope all of you listening have gotten some words of wisdom from these two great gardeners. I hope that you, if you haven't already, start a garden, uh, grow delicious, delicious things for you and your family, and experience uh, the great joy of gardening. Uh, I, I have found that I have become uh, more and more of a gardener and less and less of anything else since uh, I, with, than gardening. I just, that's all I want to do is garden. I want to grow, 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 yeah. and it's uh, and and give away. I love giving everything I grow away too. It's so it's so pleasurable. So uh, thank you so much, Elliot, for taking the time out of your busy farming day. And Jack, I know you have to get back to those huge <laughs> greenhouses and uh, and cut some lettuces for dinner at the Stone Barns restaurant for tonight. Right? That's it. It's still, <laughs> still a lot of light. <laughs> we do. Eight o'clock is still. It's still light out at eight o'clock. It's still light at eight o'clock. Yeah, yeah. But if anyone who's uh, listening to this podcast, please come visit us at Stone Barns yeah. and uh, keep your ear out for our upcoming podcast. Yes. And and uh, and you will love what you learn at either the beautiful farm of Elliot Coleman up in Harborside, Maine, or at the Stone Barns complex right in Pocantico, New York. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you, Martha. Thanks, Martha. Martha Stewart here. As a devoted pet parent and culinary expert, I ensure my cats and dogs are fed the finest nutrition. My premium pet food features air-dried protein inclusion, whole fruits and vegetables, and never any fillers. 
Martha Stewart pet food formulas make it so easy to satisfy the dietary needs and taste preferences of your pets. Now all six delicious formulas are 50% off. And there's convenient home delivery on Chewy.com. No more lugging heavy bags and your pets will thrive on the optimal nutrition and great taste. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. 